this week. Finally, I do an interview. This is a very exciting time for me. I'm so happy I got it done, and I couldn't have had a better first guest. So the interview you're about to hear is with uh, Kate DeYoung. I learned that in the interview to make sure to pronounce that correctly. She is a horror fiction writer, which is perfect for her. And as well, she's a sensitive, and even though she didn't like the term overall, a, a psychic that I've worked with for many years, going all the way back to the beginning of my investigative days, and I can tell you she's the real deal. So having that experience with her and knowing that she has now gone full-fledged into um, the horror fiction genre, and I read her first book, It Is Wonderful, we talk about that. We talk about some of the other things she's wrote. We've got personal experiences, what it's like to be psychic, visitations, ghost stories, you name it. It was discussed. So without further ado, I give you my very first Ghost Guide Daniel interview with Kate DeYoung. Hey, Kate. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Now, I wanted to ask you, I should have probably asked you this before I hit record, but it's too late now. Uh, tell me how, how to pronounce your last name. I, I'm afraid I'm going to say it incorrectly. Okay, first, I'll tell you, but I want to hear you take a stab at it because I've heard everything. Okay, let me think. Um, Dejong. Um, some people say that. Okay. Try again. Dejong. <laughs> <laughs> it's Dejong. De Young. Okay. De Young. Yeah. You know, I had that problem recently. I, I hired a new ghost guide and his name is spelled J-E-N-S. And I was calling him Jens, which sounded correct to me, but it was Jens. So it's similar in this situation, right? The J is like a Y almost. Yes, it's Dutch. Dutch. De Young. De Young. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, good. I didn't want to get that wrong and insult you and have you uh, swear at me and hang up. Oh, one star review for this interview. Oh, goodness gracious. And it was my first one. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Terrible start. Anyway, welcome to the show. <laughs> uh, just to introduce yourself. I know you don't fully like it. We were just talking about that before being called a, a psychic. But uh, would you consider yourself a sensitive or a medium? Oh, I do psychic readings. Um I, you know what, I think my problem with being called a psychic is that I think there are certain expectations of someone who says that they are psychic. And I am not someone like a medium who can call on spirits and make that connection deliberately. I can't do that kind of thing. And I can't so... always just tune in like I get flashes of things and wow I'm like taking this question way off the train tracks so no no um, you're doing great uh I, I guess my question so things come to you but like did they come to you like when they're needed basically I think so yeah I get messages oh. that I need to pass on to people um sometimes spirits come and find me I can't call them but they do show up at my bedside or sometimes it starts off like a dream and I wake up and they're still there talking to me. I actually have a really cool, uh, very recent ghost story that I can share with you when we get to that point in the conversation. 
Well, no, I guess I, well, my question right now would be, so you say they come to your bedside. Do you actually see them or do you sense them? See them. See them. So like you'll, you'll wake up, open your eyes and just like the, the horror movies that terrify us, there's like somebody standing there staring at you. Yes. Uh, Jesus. I, it's not always like that. The ones that have the strongest energy do show up fully corporeally like that. Not all of them. Um, one, the one that I'm going to tell you about came through in a very funny way. It was shocking at first and scared me. So he switched to a different image that would be less likely to freak me out so that he could pass on his message. Um, in waking no. hours, for some reason, I just get the sense of something there. I am an empath, so I feel the emotions before anything else. Meaning if a spirit comes into the room, I will feel a wave of sadness or anger or confusion. And it took me a lot of years to realize it was not just me losing my mind, that there was something else there that I was picking up on. And so once I make that connection with whoever it is, they're often able to get messages through either audibly or with flash images of whatever it is they're trying to say. Oh, I remember when, uh, we, for the for the audience's sake, we used to do investigations together way back when, uh, going back at the beginning of uh, Haunted Hamilton, which is the paranormal group we were both involved with for a little while. And um, I remember, like, even the first time I met you, because you were paired up with, I guess, a more experienced uh, uh, psychic uh, Michelle, and um, you seemed to get drained quite easily when you would go on these investigations. That's because you were, you were feeling all those emotions, right? Yes. And uh, I don't know if you remember my nickname back then was Ghost Velcro. <laughs> Ghost Vel Was I, it Velcro or Magnet? Velcro. Ghost it was Velcro. Okay. Yeah. I kept saying Magnet. I've been, I've been lying to people. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> That's my memory in a nutshell. But uh, yeah, I, I knew it was something because I, I know that. Oh, you know what? It was Ghost Guy James who was Ghost Magnet. I remember that because he used to draw the spirits in when he did the tours. But you were you were Ghost Velcro. <laughs> I was Ghost Velcro. I went into paranormal investigation with you guys having no clue what I was doing um, and had no idea how to block and ground and protect myself. So the spirits back in those days would attach themselves to me, which was not a lot of fun. Uh, we have the famous Merritt House story that I'm sure you've told over the years where that ghost who shall not be named <laughs> uh, took over my body in the parking lot after the investigation and Michelle had to basically pry him out of me. So that was very draining because I was merging with spirit energy. They were trying to get inside of my body, take over my energy. Um, and being yeah. an empath as well, taking on all of those emotions when I go into a place, whether it's residual or an earthbound spirit, is very draining when you don't know what to do with it. I find that so fascinating. And I know um, my own personal experience. Yes, I have told the Merit House story on the, on the podcast already. But I also told, or I haven't told it yet, but I, I witnessed the possession that happened at uh, the custom house. So I remember you were there the first time it occurred. Mm -hmm. And um, 
when I experienced what happened to you at the Merritt House and then I experienced what happened at the Custom House, I realized what true possession almost is. It's almost like a, like an invasion, like a like a battle that's occurring of an outside energy, like trying to mingle with your own living energy. Am, am I right on that? Absolutely. They, I mean, I had no control over my body when that thing was inside of me. And the incident you're talking about at the custom house, I remember that person just shaking and crying and couldn't move. It was exactly the same thing. So, you know, at points I tell myself I'm crazy and I'm making these things up. This can't possibly be real. But then I see so many other people having the same experiences. And I mean, how can it be that it happens exactly the same way to so many people if it's made up? You know what I mean? It's true. And uh, I'll tell, I always tell people the same thing. I said, okay, you're scared of it because especially if it's happening for you, it's terrifying. But from an outside point of view, it really isn't as close as what we see in horror movies. And I think when I say possession, everybody's thinking like, uh, you know, Reagan and the exorcist and uh, pissing on the floor and vomiting everywhere. And it's like, uh, <laughs> maybe not that far. Maybe, maybe there's a little more control under it. Uh, although I haven't felt how it felt, but I've seen it and I realize, okay, uh, I, I felt sleep paralysis. I, I felt that. And I assume, is it something similar to that? Very, very similar. That's a great uh, comparison, actually. I have sleep paralysis and false awakening syndromes. So I know exactly what you mean, where you're lying in bed and you know where you are. Your eyes can be open, but you just cannot move your body at all. It's exactly what it feels like. Yeah, and that's a, a very creepy feeling. So I can only imagine when you're in a waking state, especially at the custom house, when you're surrounded by like 49 other people who are watching you go through this, that, that's got to suck. It's like so bad. Oh, yeah. It's worse than throwing up on like a public bus. <laughs> oh, wait, is that something you've experienced? I don't know. You seem <laughs> it was pretty specific. <laughs> uh, you know what? I've never seen it and I have no idea why I went there. <laughs> uh, you know what? It, it came to you. So that's all that matters. Uh, but I, I, before we move on to the next subject, I got I got to get you because I know people are, are probably screaming at the uh, at the podcast thing right now. It's like, tell the story about the guy standing beside your bed. <laughs> it's like we, we just kind of went off on it. I, I, I want to make sure we don't forget. So if you can share that story, I think everybody would love to hear it. So this happened, I want to say it was last year, middle of the night. Um, I woke up because I could feel something off in the bedroom. And this was absolutely the clearest spirit I've ever seen. It was like he was physically in the room. He was bald. He was dressed in clothing, I would say, like from the 1990s, a Henley-style sweatshirt, pair of jeans. He was very thin. And he kept motioning at his head, like, where is my hair? Where is my hair? So his hands were frantically moving around his head. His mouth was opening, but he wasn't making any sound. So he was strong enough to show up um, with, like, vivid color fully there as a body, but not strong enough, I guess, to vocalize what he was trying to say. So he was showing me images that he used to have a full head of hair. And what I gather is it was some kind of cancer 
where he lost his hair, but something was going on with his brain, maybe brain cancer, something like that. He didn't understand that he was dead. Um, he was freaking because he didn't look right and he was just really confused. So I was talking to him, trying to explain that he had passed on, find the light, that sort of thing. Although as a side note, I don't know what this light thing is supposed to look like. I've never seen anything like it. So I sometimes feel like I don't know what I'm talking about when I talk to ghosts about these things. <laughs> anyway, um, he eventually disappeared. I don't, he never came back, but it was, that was the clearest I've ever seen a spirit in full body form. Wow. And how long ago was that again? Sometime last summer. Last summer. Did you get any follow-up on who he might be or why he was trying to talk to you? No. It usually happens around the 8-8 Lion's Gate. If you're not aware of what that is, on August 8th every year, there is a massive energy, energy portal that opens. And even people who are only minorly sensitive will see things, feel things, get downloads of information, uh, visions, etc. So I th every year around that time, they just come through more strongly. So oh my I goodness, it's, it's, probably it's only just... like a week away. Yeah. Uh, hello, kitties. Get ready for 8-8 eight, eight Lionsgate. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what the, what the, okay. I, I, funny enough, I've never heard of this. So uh, this, this 8-8 eight, eight Lionsgate, which is Monday, August 8th, um, is it more like strong communication than you might get to say Halloween, for example? Um, I would say equal, probably equal. equal. Yeah. Wow. So it's Halloween is more about the spirits crossing over, having our attention, uh, moving through the veil. 8-8 eight, eight Lionsgate is spirits, but it's also receiving messages and if you know anything about energetic work we receive downloads is what it's called where you sort of up your skill level if you have any kind of sensitivity or psychic ability that sort of thing that's uh interesting is, is there any type of um uh energetic or celestial reason why that date it's Lion's Gate because it's the moon is in Leo. Okay. And you know what? I don't actually remember why exactly. It's, it's okay. It's That's Lion's why people can, they can just Google. Yeah. People Google, ask Alexa. She's listening anyway. That's true. And they have Google home and all of them are, they're listening to us. Yeah. So they're, they're ready, just ready to help. That's the only reason they're listening. There's no nefarious reason. I don't even know why you're, you know, suggesting that. <laughs> it's because it's because my google home is listening right now i, I want to think it's not my fault sorry i threw you under the bus <laughs> okay moving right along <laughs> um you wanted to talk a little bit about this uh, we can we can start a bit because I, I don't know how much people really know about this location but it definitely doesn't get a lot of uh, coverage in our neck of the woods, which is Southern Ontario is uh, you lived in Thunder Bay for a little while. Um, yes. And I, I've never been, 
but you 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 shared with me you told me that there's like a lot of history there and a lot of ghosts and i just wonder is there like anything that that stands out from your time there and you know investigations anything that you did when you were in thunder bay it's funny that we're talking about this today i was going through a box in my basement last week and came across the old script for the ghost tours that i wrote for thunder bay that's what i did for the summer that i lived there i led ghost tours so Thunder that. Bay is comprised of two towns, and I mainly worked on the Port Arthur side. On the Port Arthur side, there is a big hotel right down on the lake, and very much like Hamilton, where you and I live, there was a lot of rum running and bootlegging going on during the Prohibition. So people would come over from Michigan in the States by boat, bringing their bootleg alcohol to this hotel in Port Arthur. And just like Hamilton Harbor, they had tunnels under uh, that went into the basement there. But the tunnels then extended off to the side of the hotel and up into the rest of the town. So there are tunnels under there that are from rum running and also from the silver mines that the city was built on top of where lots of crazy things happened. So for example, there is um, a house not too far from this hotel that was an abortionist doctor. And so prostitutes were brought through the tunnels from the hotel to his place and he buried all of the babies in the yard there. So anyone who has tried to live in this house has just got, you know, it's very much like American Horror Story, <laughs> Murder House, if you've watched that. I mean, come on, we've all watched yeah. that. The crazy abortionist in that house, it was very similar to that. Um, That's so all... creepy. Is it, did you get to go, like, is that, sorry, I assume the house is still there. And did you get to go inside or do anything there? No, we walked the property. We were, it was privately owned, so we couldn't go inside. Oh, it's not a business or a hotel or anything like that. No, it's a really cool, like arts and crafts style house. So it would have been nice to see inside, but the owners don't take kindly to weirdos knocking on the front door asking for a ghost tour. (laughs) How do they feel about the ghost tour standing near the house? That's uh, (laughs) a question that I have. How much property? Too bad. (laughs) Yeah, that's actually a good point. That makes sense. Uh, The other really cool place I found in Thunder Bay was a pub called Dr. Dewar's. And it was an old house that was converted into this pub on the main floor. And the fantastic thing about this place is that Dr. Dewar, he was a dentist, was very good friends with Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. A lot of people don't know that Sir Arthur Conan Doyle vacationed in Thunder Bay. He had a summer house there. He would seriously, yeah. He and Harry Houdini both spent a lot of time. They put on a show at the Lyceum in Thunder Bay where they did remember Harry Houdini was doing the debunking of um, spiritualism and all of that stuff. So he and Sir Arthur Conan Doyle put on shows at the Lyceum there. That's amazing. Oh, to be be alive to see that because I've talked about that before on the podcast the idea that. You, if you look from the outside, the author of Sherlock Holmes 
and the guy who you know did escapes and ma- magic for a living, you would assume it would have been the other way around. That you know Houdini would have been the believer, and that Doyle would have been, uh, or uh, yeah, he would have been the skeptic. But it was like he was the believer, and Houdini was the skeptic. Is so yeah. strange. So in this pub, there's a fireplace that was original to the house and a couple of armchairs sit there and they are the chairs that uh, Sir Oprah Conan Doyle and Dr. Dewar would sit in and talk about mysticism and ghosts and spooky things, drinking their brandy or whatever it was that they had at the day or at the time. Um, And now you can go in and have, actually, I think it may have closed at this point, but at the time you could go in and have drinks and sit where they sat uh and the place was very haunted wait are you saying it's not open anymore the place i think it closed the last time i looked i think it was closed that's too bad because that's a that that alone should have sold it the fact that you could sit where uh, arthur conan doyle did and and, right uh, it, it amazes me um but yeah so is there any connection to the energy of Arthur Conan Doyle is it most, just mostly just the owner. No, yeah, it was the owner. Um, I, I didn't, I didn't sense Sir Arthur Conan Doyle there, and the owner did not try to suggest that that was the case either. Just that the place was haunted. Um, they were really kind people. When I was doing the tour on that side of the city, they allowed us after hours to come in and they would put out food for the tour. So it was like privately open for all of us to go in. It's nice. Now, was it mostly locals that you catered to, or did you get a lot of tourists coming out for the tour? There are no tourists in Thunder Bay. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't want to say it. I figured as a former local, you could say it, but I can't say it because I'm not, I didn't ever been there or live there. (laughs) No. Thunder Bay was at the time less than a hundred thousand people. And um, it probably still is, <laughs> but the nearest yeah, town no, from there is like four hours away. So, well, they're they're near the border to uh, to Minnesota, right? Yes. So yeah, I was. Yeah, I think that's to... the only reason they exist. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, yeah. and for the uh, rum running back in the day. <laughs> ah, okay. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. But I'm sure the winters up there were a lot of fun too, right? <laughs> I was only there for three months during the summer. And okay, winter, good. Winter hit on August 16th, and that was enough for me. <laughs> you said August 16th? Oh, my yeah. God. <laughs> that's like, that's crazy. Um, but uh, yeah, so is there anything else like from your time in Thunder Bay? Did you do any investigations or anything like that? I did. I made friends with uh, a couple of people who became regulars on the tour, and we started doing investigations. The house I was living in was very haunted. It was B. So it was a little one-story place with two bedrooms, a front room, and a kitchen. And the basement had one of those big pot belly furnaces, you know, the octopus okay. ones. And it had a coal chute that still had coal inside. The creepiest thing, though, was this little room. So it was poured cement floor. And this little room, the door was always locked. We finally got it open one day and that's part of my ghost story about this house the owner of the house had lost the key to this little room but i always felt like something was wrong walking past the door and really spent a lot of time avoiding the basement even though that's where the laundry was so 
we, my friends and I, um, Melanie may be listening at some point to this podcast. So Mel Willis, she actually runs a paranormal investigation group in Thunder Bay right now. Um, she and her ex-husband and I set up my digital recorder just outside the door of this little, this locked door and went upstairs and we could hear when we came back and listened to the playback, help me, this woman's voice, there was very clear EVP, help me. (laughs) And so we put the recorder back downstairs went up again and when we went back down to retrieve it the door was open this door had Wait, never so, been the locked door yeah, was never open. been open and then it just opened on its own correct so inside the room again this was a poured cement basement um inside the room it was compact dirt floor and you could see an outline where it looked like it like a body size hole had been sunken into the ground so it wasn't long after that that we moved out (laughs) whoa 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 okay there could have been two angles that this story went and i was i had my fingers and toes crossed that the next thing you were going to say is okay so we went and grabbed a couple shovels (laughs) and i would have been like Okay, that's exactly what I would have done. And then you say you moved out. So you didn't dig into that ground. It's, come on, it's so tempting. I did not dig into the ground. Okay, uh, maybe I'm just weird. So, well, <laughs> as a side note, <laughs> the week we moved into this house, there was an elderly lady living on one side. We saw her a couple of times and then nothing. And about a week later... The police showed up. The lady had died in the house and had been in there for a week, like right after oh. we moved in. Oh, my God. Is this something that's common in Thunder Bay, I would think? I have no idea. It's the only story I heard like that, but <laughs> I think maybe I just attract death. I don't know. Oh, well, it's, you definitely attract like interesting locations. I'm going to say that is like, <laughs> uh, every, like if you're going to go living in a house. You're going to find out something strange happened there. <laughs> but it's, it, oh, yeah. I think that's the same for any house that people live in. There's always going to be stories behind it. It's just that you will hear about it, like through messages and through visitations. Yeah. And that residual energy. I mean, anybody who lives with somebody else is going to have emotional outbursts at some point, And that stuff sticks around, too. Yeah. But you never got any uh, messages from the lady who died inside the house. I guess you weren't really there that long. No, no, I didn't. Oh, wow. Well, um, okay, so I definitely wanted to talk about this uh, because I know that uh, people might know you from the haunted Hamilton days and and um, as as the uh, sensitive and the medium, but they don't know that, uh, I guess, uh, I'm not sure how long it's been since you started, but you've switched gears. You're still doing the other stuff, but you switched gears to uh, writing fiction which, you know, personally, I think is a perfect idea. You know, I know you've always been into writing and the fact that, you know, you're obviously going to go down a certain road with um, more darker stuff and like, you know, relation to horror and ghosts, which I think is absolutely perfect for you. Um, So I know uh, your first subject that you picked for a book was, um, was it, is it Bathory? Yeah, uh, it was like, uh, yeah, so the woman who used to bathe in the blood of her servants, 
because it gave her, she thought it gave her, um, you know, forever youth. Uh, is there a reason why you chose this <laughs> interesting historical character as your first subject? Which, I, believe me, I'm not against it. Your book, your, I read the first book and it was wonderful. But, you know, what, what brought you to that? It was a dream. Uh, the main character in the book, her name is Bianca. And this, she is a local server. All of my books are set here in Hamilton because I refuse to give in to mainstream media insisting that everything takes place in the States. So she is a local server. Uh, the pub she works at is based on the Coach and Lantern in Ancaster, which is very haunted. Yep. And Bianca came to me in a dream and would not leave me alone until I wrote her story down. That's how a lot of my stories are generated, actually, just repetitive dreams that will not shut up until I write them down. So Bianca has these visions. She's always known she can sense spirits and sometimes has flash visions, but she doesn't think much of it until she starts having these visions of a horrible woman from the distant past who is trying to suck her into performing these um, rituals on young women and like bloodletting, drinking their blood, etc. And the visions become so intense that they knock Bianca out. Um, she begins to change physically and mentally. And it comes down to her having to go to Romania to figure out what exactly is going on, who this woman is, what she wants before Bianca is totally lost to the dark side. So Elizabeth Bathory has always fascinated me being the most prolific serial killer of all time. But the lore that follows her because of her geographical location in the Carpathian Mountains is very vampiric. She's often tied to uh, Vlad Tepish. Am I saying that right? Yep, Just yeah. because of the geography. So what I wanted to do was give her a different uh, backstory. So instead of being vampiric, she is a witch. Okay. So the this is a series, and throughout the series, you're introduced to Elizabeth Bathory and her descendants. All of this, by the way, the names and everything were based on research that I did, lots and lots of research. So if people read the books and want to look up a detail and see if it's true, it is. <laughs> uh, except for the parts I made up, of course. Good. But... Well, yeah, yeah, I mean, not the actual events, but the, the history surrounding it. Yeah. So it's going to culminate in a battle of covens down farther along the line in the series. And yeah, it's, it's going to get intense. Right now, I've only got the first two books out. I'm writing the third. And I don't want to give away any spoilers, but it is a... I guess a dark horror, I would call it. There's not a lot of gore. Um, there's really not a lot of X-rated stuff, but it's still, I rate it at 16 plus just okay. because of the content. <laughs> um, but it is worth a read if you're into the history of Elizabeth Bathory and witches and mystery and um, learning about some of the odd 
folklore and creatures from Romania. Well, it's as well, um, you know, if you're just into that style of horror that's based on history, which I'm a huge fan of. But um, uh, I guess my my one and only question is, uh, you said Bianca came to you in a dream. Uh, is she is she like a real person or like a real energy or is just like something that's like creative? Just creative, just a character. So you said that that's your uh, that's kind of your. Um, uh, method. So you, 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 you get dreams. I wouldn't call them visions, but it's almost like your creativity is coming to you saying, this is what you need to do. Yes. Yes. Actually the very first ghost story I ever wrote, um, was a recurring nightmare I had from the ages nine to 12. And in the sixth grade, my mom finally said, write it down and you'll stop having this nightmare. So I did. And I had recent, actually in the book Nightmares, that's my collection of scary stories, I rewrote it for an adult audience, but it was originally written in the sixth grade. And that was based on a recurring nightmare. You said you wrote it in the sixth grade, did like your teacher read it at one point and (laughs) (laughs) basically gave her nightmares, I'm sure? (laughs) Uh, No, I don't think I shared it with anybody. Oh, okay. All right. I do I, still have it. it. <laughs> oh, you do? Okay. But this is, this is kind of like uh, the, your current book is based on that. Yeah, it's fleshed out because this was, it was just snippets that I was seeing in this recurring nightmare. Um, horrible things. It's The story is called Helen's Story. It's about a woman who was the perfect 1950s type housewife with a very abusive husband. And her children are now grown. So it takes place in current day. Her children are now grown and moved out. And her husband has been missing for a year. The police have no leads. And Helen is slowly losing her mind. Wondering, like, with worry about where is this guy? And horrible things start happening around the house. And it turns out he is... I mean, it's not a spoiler to tell you he's dead. (laughs) Okay. Like the one scene that sticks in my mind to this day from my dream is that Helen is standing at uh, the sink in the evening. It's dark outside. There was a window in front of her above the sink. She goes to let the water out after doing the dishes and this dead hand and forearm reach up out of the drain and grab her by the neck. Oh, God. (laughs) And that's, you know, that's the kind of dream I was having at nine years old. So always destined to write horror. (laughs) I think so. I think that's uh, that is definitely destiny. That's fate. You've uh, you've realized that finally, especially, you know, at that age, you're writing things that are so uh, dark. We'll say dark. (laughs) But it's a great it's a sorry. I was always a creepy child. <laughs> but it's uh, it's great imagery. I mean, when it comes to uh, horror uh, books in general, I mean, that's my obviously my favorite genre in ghosts and uh, like Stephen King and that style. And I think Stephen King wrote it. Uh, did you read uh, Stephen King's book on writing? No, no, it's good. And he he had a, a good um, a section where he described the the visuals that capture your reader's attention. And he, he, he used the example of a uh, picturing a, a white 
a white bunny rabbit in a, in a cage. And then um, the, uh, the number six is written on it in blood. And he, it was like uh, out of, out of the visual of a white bunny rabbit in a cage, like in the, that blood image, that's the part that stands out. So there's like the visuals, they're keeping the attention of the audience that are different and new and a hand coming out of a sink and choking a woman. That's, that's a pretty good visual. I'm going to say that with a complete confidence that that's good. But uh, uh, where, where can folks uh, find your books if they want to buy them? Uh, Most of it is on Amazon. I have ventured into some extreme horror shorts and novellas. Those are available on godless.com. Godless.com? You have not heard of godless.com? Oh my goodness. I have not heard of it. (laughs) Okay. If you are a horror fan and you can read eBooks, this is it. There is no print on demand on this website. But godless.com was created in the year 2000 by Drew Stepik, who is an author who wrote a book by the same name. It has nothing to do with religion. It is not a satanic cult. (laughs) Trust me, the questions (laughs) I get and the messages in my inbox trying to save my soul because I have books for sale on godless.com, you wouldn't believe. I was about to say something like that, but you stopped me now. (laughs) So he held on to the URL all of this time since the year 2000. It was originally just to market his book by the same name. And then in March of 2021, he opened up the platform to other indie horror authors. And there are now hundreds of authors on there, thousands of titles to choose from. And the prices are insane. I mean, 50 cents for a short story or a book. Um, The most I've seen anything for sale on there is $3.99. Most, I would say the average price is a dollar and you can download all of these files onto your Kindle or e-reader. And one of the best things about Godless is that they support a charity called uh, Children of the Night. So donations are made from everything Drew makes and from the authors all donate five to 10% of their sales to Children of the Night, which works in the States to end child trafficking and prostitution. Oh, okay. Oh, that's very good. Very noble. But uh, yeah, you should state, just to be clear then uh, to all the audience, uh, you should state that I am not a Satanist. Like, I am not right. a Satanist. Perfect. Just atheist. in case anybody tries to cut. Oh, atheist. I... <laughs> that, that might be, uh, I don't know how people are going to react to that, but don't worry. We don't, we don't go politics or religion on, um, on the show. <laughs> I try and stay away from it. A couple of times I've broken and I've, I've talked of it, but I, I, I do my best. But, I do hereby solemnly swear I do not sacrifice goats in my backyard. Good. Okay. I, I was I was wondering. I'm sure the audience was wondering and you've just set the record straight. I appreciate <laughs> that. But uh, actually, that's a, an interesting thought. You can tell me if you're not comfortable talking about this, but um, as a psychic or as a, a sensitive or medium, uh, to be able to state that you're an atheist, I, how do those two sides connect? Like, uh, is it, are you able to explain that? Yeah, actually, I can. I look at all of this through a more scientific lens. So while I was on my journey of discovery about what being psychic is, what energy is, and all the rest of it, I did a lot of reading. And one of my favorite 
things that I stumbled upon was Robert Monroe. If you're not aware of who that is, he started the uh, out-of-body experience, uh, I guess it's an institution in the States. So the book is called Journeys Out of the Body. And what I stumbled upon with him was a really good description of the light spectrum. So we know that things exist like microwaves and x-rays that are all part of the light spectrum, but our eyeballs can't see them, right? We only see 0.3 centimeters of the entire light spectrum that we know scientifically exists. So his thought, and I believe, is that some people just see maybe 0.4 centimeters, you know, like just a little bit more. We see things that, I mean, I'm wearing glasses, you're wearing glasses, everyone's eyesight is different, our hearing levels are different. So I believe that energy exists all around us and that some people just pick up on it more easily than others. As far so the as, idea, sorry? Um, spirits, for example. I mean, we could, I could yak quantum physics all day, <laughs> but spirits, I think, are just... Um, it's the energy cannot be destroyed, right? So I think that they exist for a certain amount of time until their next job, whatever it is, whether they're being reincarnated into something else or uh, if we're going to be scientific, let's say recycled into something else, or if they're going to be working on the other side to help people i think that it's just like they're like you and i we just most of us can't see them i've used this argument so many times during like the tours because i do get a lot of people who are skeptical of ghosts and they're like uh, i I always ask them i was like uh, why why don't you believe in ghosts i'm not that aggressive i'm very nice about it (laughs) but then they say uh they say oh because of science and i was like um what do you mean by that? Because I, I know that science has started to go down that road with, with quantum physics and they're very close to having proof of, I don't know if you would call it ghosts, but definitely we already know that everything is, is basically vibrating energy. And I, I tried to explain that to, she was a little bit drunk. So I could see her at this point, she was starting to get like sad because I was like, I was, I don't know if I was ruining her life by explaining this stuff. So I backed off. I backed off at that point. But uh, I, yeah, no, I, I don't understand why people don't believe in spirits. And I always said that it's like, you know, you're basically just a makeup of energy. Is it really difficult to believe that, you know, energies have lived before us could leave something behind? I mean, it makes sense to me. And there are so many fascinating stories about people who remember past lives that have gone back and researched and proven what they have seen and felt. I'll never forget my oldest kid when he was three years old, sitting in the back seat of the car, I was driving down Upper Wentworth and he started telling me about his last life, three years old. He was describing being a building inspector and he died in a car accident. Really? Like, where does this stuff come from? Well, that's so random because I think like they'd say something like, I was a king in yeah. England or something. And they'd say a building inspector. And that is very random. Mm-hmm. And how would a three-year-old know what a building inspector is? 
But so, yeah, you consider yourself uh, atheist, which is I, I understand the connection there. But um, so you, you do believe in reincarnation, correct? Yes, um, I think that spirits have infinite amount of time here that we kind of go through lifetimes learning. And I think maybe when our soul is created, and don't ask me how that happens, because I do not think there's a magic man in the sky that poops it. Uh, anyway, I think that we kind of have an eventual goal that we want to achieve for ourselves and it takes however many lifetimes to get there learning the lessons failing the lessons and having to repeat them um, I think that we can take breaks between lives and sort of be on the other side helping to guide the people on this side or almost like <laughs> you'll, you'll laugh almost like guidance counselors on the other side <laughs> helping younger spirits figure out what they want to do with their next yeah. life that sort of thing so when why I say, not why not it's a simple simple idea it makes sense to me yeah when i say i'm an atheist i mean that i don't believe there is a single creator of okay. any kind that when, makes sense when i refer to my spirituality i talk about the universe so the universe wants this the universe is saying this universe right now is very fragile with all of the turmoil going on in the world. So people who are sensitive are really on edge, feeling extra anxiety on top of what they normally feel. Um, I do energetic healing for people. So healing the energetic body that's inside these meat suits. Um, so anyway, it, yeah, I just, I always relate it back to science and the science of energetics i you know i i am a big fan of um intuition and you know things that feel right you know in your life usually are right and it's amazing to me because i was raised roman catholic like very strict and i was told all those stories and most people who are raised strict roman catholic usually don't end up being roman catholic when they get older which is the case with me <laughs> and then I, I i do tons of studying into other religious beliefs and uh you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a spiritual person for sure. But when I first studied into the idea of reincarnation, it, it amazed me at how much it just felt right. You know, it, it, it makes sense to me that, you know, we've repeated lives and that, as you mentioned, we're, we're getting to different levels as we go through whatever spiritual level is at the top and then where that takes you on your journey, who knows. But it just, I don't know, it, it just feels right to me. It feels exciting that that's reality. You know, I, I, I like that idea. You know what I mean? I do for sure. Yeah, because it means that, you know, we technically don't end, that we just, we just, we keep going and that there's no like final curtain call and that's the end of it. And that's, uh, you know, I, I find it comforting in a way. Absolutely. It's better than the belief that once you're gone, you're gone and you're in a box in the ground and the worms crawl in and the worms crawl out. Ugh. Well, I, I wouldn't expect anything less from a horror writer. <laughs> <laughs> I just can't help myself, you know? Yeah, it's fine. It's fine. Uh, uh, so uh, we're, we're, we're pretty much out of time. Is there anything else that you wanted to discuss or anything you wanted to plug or mention? Um, I think 
if it's okay, I'll just let the listeners know about the Hamilton book crawl. Perfect. Yes, you mentioned that before. So there's a book crawl that's happening in Hamilton. It's on Concession Street? Yep. It is the third Saturday of every month from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. We are going to have a brand new location. We have been setting up on the street in front of shops, just like Art Crawl down on James Street. But as of August, we now have the um, parking lot in between the Hamilton Public Library and the RBC. So we'll all be in one spot where it's more accessible for people who can't physically walk the street up and down. And it'll be much more like a great big market. So it's free for authors to participate. They just need to sign up through the Concession Street VIA. This was my baby. I created it last year with the hopes that local authors could have some part of the um, art attention that the city of Hamilton loves to give to visual artists, musicians, and restaurants. It's time that indie authors have a voice here in the city too. So it's gotten big enough that I've passed over the reins to the Concession Street BIA. They are lovely people to work with. And so we have about 20 authors every month who come out, all different genres. Uh, I think I'm the only horror writer in the group. But uh, aside from me, yeah, there's, I mean, we have lots of children's authors. There's something for everyone. Perfect. Uh, Yeah, so everybody definitely check that out. And I I love the fact that you're absolutely right, is that, um, you know, writing for me personally is definitely my favorite art form. I, I, I value it over everything else in storytelling in general. So I'm glad that you've you've started this and that you've had it to the point that it's taken off and proves that there's a there's an interest for it. So folks, definitely uh, definitely check it out. So it's called a book crawl, and uh, they just crawl. and it's just on the concession BIA website. Yes. Yep. Perfect. Well, thank you so much, Kate. Uh, you are my very first interview as a podcaster. And I think this went very well and I definitely enjoyed myself. I hopefully you enjoyed it as well. Well, you know, I think you're fantastic and I wish you lots of luck with this new venture. Thank you so much. I wish you the same for everything you've been involved in. And uh, just so everybody knows, I didn't pay you to say I was fantastic. (laughs) Yes, you did. (laughs) Thanks so much, Kate. Thank you.